Hi, this is Thurl Big T Bailey, a member of the 1983 championship team, and listening to the Shadows Podcast. All right, well, I want to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Rebound Series. I'm your host, Trip Odenheimer, and I just happened to find this shirt laying around as I was uh, logging on here for this episode with uh, a legend from Duke, Ricky Price, two-time regular season all or ACC champions. He's an all ACC performer, had a decade long pro career, does public speaking, works with you, does some amazing stuff right now. So, sir, welcome to the shadows. Hey, it's a pleasure being here. Looking forward to talking hoops. Yeah, absolutely. And first thing, speaking of hoops that I got to ask you is a couple of rapid fire questions. I've sprinkled some uh, college basketball related questions in here. The best player you ever played against during your college career. That's a good question. Two pop out uh, immediately. I would say Tim Duncan and Ray Allen. Um, both were sensational. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Tim Duncan was at Wake Forest. I saw him for three years, and he was incredible. Uh, just about all three that I played against him. Obviously, one of the top players in uh, NBA history. Maybe the, the best power forward of all time. Yeah, I agree. And he was nothing short of sensational at Wake Forest with his prowess around the basket, blocking shots, altering shots. Just bringing that winning culture, you know, while having that very solemn demeanor and uh, hell of a player. And the second one, Ray Allen, that I mentioned, um, played against him once in the uh, Grade Eight Classic, mm-hmm. um, UConn versus Duke, uh, my freshman year, and they they beat us actually in that game. He was sensational, twenty six points. I probably got twenty of those, um, <laughs> and he was uh, just you know masterful coming off screens, masterful at uh, creating angles for himself, and then he had that sweet stroke as well that you saw uh, for his uh, 15-year pro career, and he was just sensational uh, to watch and to play against. I remember that great eight game. Duncan kind of came out of nowhere at Wake Forest, too. Like He was not a huge recruit coming there. He's more of a project player, but what did he evolve into? Goodness. Yeah, I mean, with the size and length and then the, um, you know, the skill set and then the willing to improve, especially on defense, he was just mm-hmm. he was tough you know, to get around as he guarded the basket. He was just tough to score on. And um, hell of a player, man, hell of a career. You know, kudos to him. Yeah. Now, this next question, uh, the easy answer is probably to Smith Center, but least favorite crowd to play in front of during your time at Duke? It was not the Smith Center. You know, that's more of a wine and cheese crowd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, they had a really bouncy floor that I liked. You know, if you could jump a little bit, uh, their floor was, was definitely um, geared for you. High quality um, court, okay, no question. Um, the biggest thing was probably, uh, I would say Clemson. You know, Clemson was really, really uh, tough to play. It was just a tough road trip. It was one of the worst trips really in the ACC. Nothing was there, no restaurants. It was just a, a tough environment to play in, and those pe- people were just, you know, on top of you. They were screaming profanities. So I would say one, one would be Clemson. One A would be Cole Fieldhouse in Maryland. Yeah, um, I was thinking Maryland. Yeah, that was a, a raucous crowd. I remember I hit a game winning shot in that arena, and uh, they were throwing quarters and apples and everything else you could you could you could you know see. So um, you know it was it was crazy. I believe it was JJ Reddick who has very fond things to say about the Maryland fans there. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, a lot of it is warranted. I mean, you know, players are going to if asked questions, we're going to give the true response. But mm-hmm. you know, some of these fans are you know nothing short of ridiculous, and the Maryland fans and the Clemson fans were were just that. Yeah, I went to the ACC tournament one year, and I was sitting in the Clemson section, and it got so bad. I was there with my mom, and we're mm-hmm. we're 
<clears throat> so happened North Carolina and Clemson had to play the next day. We had to go up to the top and watch the conclusion of the Clemson Carolina game from uh, the top of the concession stand area because it was that obnoxious of. And I get it, Tar Heel fans have them. We were talking about before it. Every fan base has them, but enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have mm-hmm. fun. Start throwing batteries and stuff. That's too much. Right. Um, Mount Rushmore of Duke players. Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Ooh, so many good guys, you know, and, you know, ideology says, do you want to count the one and dones? I guess you have to. They wore Duke uniforms. But for me, uh, I would say, uh, you know, Grant Hill, uh, Jay, Jay Williams. I know him Mm -hmm. as Jason Williams. That was his name uh, previous before he changed it. Um, I think those are the two most talented players to ever come through uh, uh, Duke. Uh, and then, you know, maybe you go with Leitner uh, at, at your third spot. And then it's probably going to have to be one of those one and dones um, after that. Either, uh, you know, uh, Jason Tatum or Kyrie Irving or Zion Williamson, just based on talent perspective. Um, so I know that's more than a Mount Rushmore. But to me, those are your, you know, top five, you know, talent wise, top five guys to ever want to do uniform. Okay. That's a good Mount Rushmore right there. Start that lineup against anybody. Uh, <laughs> what What's a good book recommendation you have for listeners out there? Um, I would say my book, you know, which I'm trying to finish now. It's not out yet, but uh, we're finishing the touches on it now, and we're hoping to release it uh, sometime during the NCAA tournament. And so um, hmm. Celebrate Your Wins will be hitting uh, the shelves soon. I would say uh, that would be something. It's not quite out yet, but, you know, be on the lookout. Um, Coach K wrote a book called The Gold Standard that I yes. really, really liked, um, chronicling the 2008 Olympics and the journey of building that team, the journey of coaching that team, and the journey of getting that team back to uh, prominence, uh, world prominence as a basketball power. I think it's riveting. I think it's a great book. I think it's a great read, uh, The Gold Standard, written by none other than Coach K. He's got phenomenal books. I, when I was deployed, I read Leading with the Heart. Mm. And I've read Dean Smith, John Wooden. I've read all sorts of coaching books. I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff. Uh, Leading with the Heart was one of the best. It gave me like a newfound respect as a Tar Heel mm-hmm. um, for, for the Duke program. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely have all of those books uh, listed, especially like yours comes out around the time this episode's dropping. is going to be March Madness. So, you got a link or anything, let us know. And we'll have it in the description of this episode as well. Absolutely. And final question. You can have dinner for three, three historical figures that are no longer with us. Who do you break bread with? No longer with us. Um, wow. That's a good question as well. I would say, um, you know, Kobe Bryant is one mm-hmm. of them. Um, you know, he's one of my all time favorites. Obviously I'm a LA guy, huge Laker fan. And uh, he is one of my favorite players of all time. Obviously, we lost him in a tragic accident a couple of years back. And I still think about him and, um, you know, the imprint that he had on the game of basketball. Yeah. And I would love to sit down with him and pick his brain over an hour, hour and a half dinner. Um, who else? You know, uh, maybe Michael Jackson. Mm. Michael Jackson. You know, obviously, huge fan, huge pop star but uh, known for his incredible work ethic 
and um, you know his approach to to greatness. You know, obviously he was a little quirky in some of the things that he did, but um, he's another guy I like to pick. You know, his brain um, a little bit about and, and how he did things. Um, and then maybe somebody like uh, somebody like uh, Martin Luther King. You know, obviously Black History Month is huge right now, and uh, he was uh, he was one of the innovators. You know. Um, of our culture and putting us in a position, you know, to have equal opportunities and um, to sit down with him and pick his brain on his thought processes on, and, and how he did things, I think would uh, would be of interest to me as well. So I think those three, what do you think? Pretty good three? Oh, that's, that's a solid three. As I say, Martin Luther King, to me, is the epitome of someone with personal power who just people hang on to his words and followed him just because of his beliefs and the way he conducted himself. So uh, I think that's, that's a great group right there. Good, good leader group uh, with the COVID yeah. and the Martin Luther King. So question for you now, uh, mm -hmm. tell our listeners about like your upbringings. You mentioned uh, being out in California. So what was young Ricky Price? Like, were you, when did you know you were gifted at basketball and what were some of your aspirations growing up? Well, at the age of five, uh, my dad put a basketball in my hands and I just I just fell in love with the game. And, um, you know, I had to hold it. I had to touch it. I had to play it. I had to talk about it. It was it was oozing through my pores. And um, at that point, I knew I had love for the game. But who knew that I was going to be six, six and athletic? Uh, yeah. My dad was six, five. My mom was five, six. My dad played basketball. Uh, he tried to make the team at UCLA during the glory years. He was unsuccessful. Um, but he did, you know, you know, play with the guys and he had an interest in, in love for the game. And he was a decent basketball player, fairly athletic. But um, he passed some of those genes on to me and, uh, you know, I was able to flourish. Um, you know, he was there every step of the way, you know, teaching me the game and, and, you know, taking me to my AAU practices and my games and, you know, teaching me the subtle nuances. And, you know, I began to grow and, and flourish as a basketball player. And, um, you know, basketball is taking me to places that, you know, I would have never dreamed of, you know, playing at Duke, uh, playing professional for nine years, you know, training kids, which is, which is what I'm doing now. But all that started with the foundation growing up in the, the main streets of Los Angeles, California. You know, I grew up in the 80s when uh, gang violence was at, you know, its peak. Mm. And, um, you know, Biggie Smalls has a uh, quote, you know, either you sling crack rock or you had a wicked jump shot. And that was that that rang true for the kids that I grew up with, you know, in California. You know, either you got into the streets and, were, you know, gang violence and drugs and stuff like that, or you played a sport and, and you kind of got out that way. But um, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I was able to grow up on a straight and narrow. My parents were on me and, and it was airtight discipline and um, you know, they wanted me to be successful. And uh, basketball was my vehicle. And, and um, you know, that that tutelage and, and that that foundation, you know, um, you know, really, really paved the way for uh, some of the successes that I had. You, I always like to ask about like leaders that people have had in their lives and parents sometimes are the, are the best examples we got. What was something that your parents did? You mentioned that discipline piece that subconsciously you catch yourself doing today as an adult. You know, I think the biggest thing was, um, hmm, it's a good question. I think it's being accountable. You know, big. a lot of times, you know, you know, people just want to blame and point the finger at everybody else. And you can't do that. You know, I was the only child. And so when things happened in the house, <laughs> there was no one else to blame. <laughs> it, it was me. 
You know what I'm saying? It wasn't a, oh, well, such and such, Lil Johnny did it. Well, my sister did it. Nah, it was you. You're the only one here. And so, you know, being accountable was something that I learned, had to learn at an early, early um, part in my life. And uh, I think my mom was a stickler about that. And my dad, you know, also championed that. And, and um, that kind of stuck with me, you know, being accountable for what you do and how you do it. And, um, you know, always make good impressions. Um, you know, always put your best foot forward. You know, always do your very best. Um, these are some of the staples that I can remember um, being taught, you know, as a young child. Yeah. Next question. Uh, and that accountability is big. That, that's like my stickler for for people that don't that lack that. But it's a different time when you were going through high school in terms of there was no social media like there is now. There's no YouTube. How was the recruiting process for you back in what was it? Ninety three, ninety four time mm-hmm. frame. I'm sure I'm assuming it was VHSs being sent out and uh <laughs> So how was I mean, that process? Are, are, you, are you really dating me with VHSs? Really? No, I'm a, I'm a VHS guy. I'm a, <laughs> but how how was that in terms of like getting on Duke's radar? And uh, I mean, you even mentioned like North Carolina had been recruiting you too. So how was that from California all the way to the East Coast, getting that name out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously, um, you know, I was one of the top players in California. And first and foremost, recruiting has been so good, you know, in the past that if you can play, they're going to find you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Trajan Langdon was also in my class from Alaska. You know what I'm saying? And, and they went and got him. You know, Carlos Boozer later on. We've had European players. Um, and so if you can play, they, they will find you. You know, But I was fortunate enough to be on the, uh, the AU circuit on some really good teams. Um, obviously, California has always been a powerhouse of sending great players uh, to college. And, um, you know, I was able to benefit from that. Um, you know, the recruiting process was was really good for me. It started kind of early. I think I got my first letter um, in the ninth grade. I remember I was in um, actually the eighth grade going to the ninth grade. I was in a summer uh, summer school transition program to get ready for the ninth grade. And a knock came on the door and I had a letter from uh, from um, Arizona. And uh, Lou Dawson wrote me my first letter. And then that same day, another one came in from Long Beach State. And yeah. so my first two letters came on the same day. And then from then on out, I was just being steadily recruited um, you know, for, uh, for my talent. And, you know, you know, for me, the final five for me was, uh, was Duke, Kansas, Arkansas, Arizona, and Cal. In all five schools, I thought I could have flourished that and done well. But there was something about Duke, the Duke visit, Coach K playing in the ACC, uh, going to a top five school academically in the nation, um, that just kind of like, you know, had its, had its claws kind of wrapped around me. And, uh, for me, it was a, it was a pretty easy decision. Do you remember the first time you spoke with Coach K? Uh, yes, yes. Um, they actually got into my recruitment late. Um, they didn't start recruiting me until my junior year. And, um, you know, part of part of it is because I think Duke and a lot of universities, do a, they do a great job of vetting you. You know, they want to do their homework on you as well. What type of kid are you? You know, what type of grades do you get? Socially, you know, what type of kid are you? Are you coachable? You know, your parents, you know, your background. Have you been in trouble off the court? You know, they're vetting you and they're looking into all these things to decide if they want to offer you a scholarship. And then obviously, you know, can you play? I mean, they're not going to recruit you if you're not a phenomenal basketball player and you can help the program win. And so, you know, I think after doing this vetting process and seeing me grow and flourish as a basketball player, 
you know, Coach K got on the phone uh, with me and my family and, and, and began to begin the recruiting process. And, um, you know, once he got in, he was in full board. And what's special about that is that um, I didn't really get recruited by any of the assistants. Coach K recruited me specifically. You know, oh, wow. he was the main guy uh, on it. And I, maybe it was because they were late in the in the game or maybe he just, you know, we had a liking to each other. But, you know, I didn't really talk to Tommy Amaker or uh, Mike Bray that much in the recruitment process. It was mainly Coach K, you know, recruiting me to come to Duke, uh, which I which I appreciated. Was Billis on the staff then? Billis was not. So we had to. Uh, Gardet. Yeah, Pete Gardet, uh, Tommy Hammaker, and Mike Bray were my yep. assistants. And later, you know, we got Quinn Snyder and Johnny Dawkins and Dave Henderson. And that crew came in, uh, Tim O'Toole. But that was my crew when I, when I was at Duke uh, in the mid-90s. Speaking of Coach K, what is something that he said to you that still sticks with you to this day? You had to say one thing. Oh, so many things. I mean, he's been so instrumental in my life, um, you know, developing me as a basketball player. And I think it's the confidence that he gives you, you know, um, you know, as a basketball player. I remember, you know, after uh, missing a game-winning shot at Carolina. Thank uh, you. 1990, 1996. <laughs> uh, shot fake, one pull-up, and it was straight as an arrow, but it was short. And I led the team to scoring that day, and unfortunately we lost, um, you know, on a game-winning miss by me and shortly thereafter you know he, he pulled me aside and he said that uh ricky we wanted you to take that shot mm. you know and if you get an opportunity i want you to take it again and <laughs> i can't make this stuff up i mentioned it earlier two weeks later at maryland yeah i had another opportunity to do it you know same situation this time i'm on the left wing get the ball spot up for three knock it down all net and we beat maryland at the buzzer but it was that confidence that he gave me uh, two weeks earlier in the miss against Carolina that I think helped me make the shot against Maryland. And these are some of the you know nuggets that Coach K gives you, yeah. you know, confidence-wise as a player to make you feel like you know you can do it. Speaking of, I, I I love Coach K. I do, except for like thirty-two times a year for forty minutes. <laughs> um, but but I I really do in terms of coaching. I think it's hard pressed to find anybody better than what he did. His track record proves it. Sorry, Carolina fans. But um, what is something that you subconsciously do, especially even like working with youth that you're like, ah, this, this has coach K's fingerprints all over it. No question. I, I do it all the time. It's like I'm echoing commands. And that's one thing that he would say. He would always say echo commands when I coach AAU for, for five years, uh, I coached sixth, seventh, and eighth grade uh, repeatedly. Yep. We had some really good teams here in North Carolina. And one of the things he would say was echo commands, meaning that when a play was called out, it can't just be one person calling the play out. The whole team needs to echo command. So if we're in play one, everyone needs to say one. You know what I'm saying? So we're on the same page, uh, you know, together. Um, you know, he always talked about calling for the ball. Calling for the ball. When you're open, you want to call for the ball and have your hands ready. He always talked about being ready to shoot. You know, a lot of players get ready to shoot after they catch the basketball. Well, that's totally the wrong way to do it. You got to start getting ready to shoot before the ball is swung to you. Mm. And that means your feet being set, shoulders square, your hands ready, and being ready to shoot. So now when you catch, you can just get straight into your shot and you're good to go. You know, he talked about, you know, talking on defense. Um you know, and, um, you know, all these things, you know, I use 
in my everyday, you know, training sessions. And when I say those words, sometimes the way that he would say them, I'm like, where have I heard this? Where have I heard this from? Yep. And uh, it's from the great coach K. And so, you know, um, with one, one thing that's good for, you know, playing for a guy like that is to learn and get the knowledge of a true basketball savant, which is what he is. And it, it'd be criminal if I didn't, you know, share some of the things that I learned from him with the youth that I'm training today. I like to hear those little like isms that teams did. Uh, like, you know, for me as a Tar Heel, you always heard about Dean Smith making you point to the person that gave you the assist mm-hmm. when you run it out court and give him the credit. So I like to hear that. And what you said about getting your body ready before to shoot before you even get the ball, that's something that's missing with a lot of basketball right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. So that's, I mean, that, that proves why the track record was what it was during his time at Duke. So you get there, the 95 season, like things are going good. January or January 4th, y'all number seven in the country. Um, and then all of a sudden that season does not end like a typical Duke season. Now keep in mind the year before 94 Duke nearly won the national title down in Charlotte and lost to mm-hmm. just a stacked Corliss Williamson, Arkansas mm-hmm. team. But you get there for the first couple of months. Like what was the transition like from you from high school ball to playing at, you know, a dominant level like Duke and in, in the ACC? Well, it's a huge transition. You know, we're talking about um, the, the biggest jump to me is from, you know, eighth grade to to high school. Another big jump is from high school to college. Then another big jump is from, you know, college to pro. And it's truly a huge jump. That jump from high school to college is unbelievable. You know, the speed of the game. And, you know, because you're so good uh, and you're the best player in California, you think that you can just dominate. Yeah. Well, everybody else on your team was Mr. Basketball in their state as well. And so we get to, to Duke and we have nine McDonald's All-Americans. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And there's so many guys who are as good or better than me. And so you had to bring it each and every day. You couldn't take days off. You couldn't take possessions off. You know, obviously, um, you know, the uh, the academic um, regimen at Duke is, is like no other. Top five school in the nation academic. Yeah. So now you got to ingratiate yourself or being a student athlete, you know, the social aspect. Um, but, you know, that season was just very difficult just because it wasn't a typical Duke season. You had you had seen Duke flourish over the years, get to Final Fours, get to, you know, back-to-back national championship just a couple of years earlier. And then we come in with the 13 and 18 season. And it all stemmed, you know, we were 8-2. and two, And then Coach K, you know, um, could not finish the season, you know, because of exhaustion and uh, his back. And the wheels just just fell off immediately. And that lets you know how big <laughs> and how important coaching is. Because without him keeping, you know, everything together, it just slowly but surely crumbled. And we weren't a really, really bad team. We lost a lot of games. Very close games. By four, five, three points. We never got blown out. And you could just tell those losses were just hit and misses and different things that, you know, coach probably could have could have told us to do that, you know, maybe would have got us over the hump. And without him, um, it just wasn't wasn't the uh, typical Duke season. Yeah, from you mentioned it from January 4th until February 9th, they didn't win an ACC game. So I, I can imagine being a freshman on campus, especially passionate alumni. They had been to the final four. I don't think I'm forgetting a year here, but it was 86, 88, 89, 90 national mm-hmm. title, 91, 92, and then the mm-hmm. 94 final four so mm-hmm. I, I can imagine what it was like the stress pressure anxiety refilling any of that on campus during that time 
No, I didn't really feel it, um, you know, but you can just tell that something was different. Yeah. And, you know, Duke is a winning program, always has been. And without, you know, winning, you know, something is definitely empty and, and, and not complete. And so, um, you know, it was a year to forget, but it was a year to remember because there were so many things that we could take from that year and say, okay, we got to change this and do better the following year, which we did. Uh, we turned we turned 13, 18 to 18 and 13. Yeah. And we made the tournament the following year. Um, it's still a far cry from what a Duke traditional team should look like, but it was far better than what it was the year before. Yeah. Progression nonetheless. And then that 95 season, the one game I want to talk about is a lot of people say it's one of the best ACC games and, and one of the best in that rivalry. What do you remember about that 100 to 102 game in Durham against uh, North Carolina? Uh, one of my favorite games of all time. And if not, one of the best North Carolina Duke games of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember the energy in that building. And every game is like that. I went to the game uh, a couple of weeks back um, in Cameron where we were able to um, play against North Carolina. And, you know, just the energy from that game is just so electric. And so I remember after Jeff Cable hit the half-court shot. Yeah. I remember being in the huddle and Pete Gardet talking to us. And he's, you know, maybe be two feet away from us. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs to instruct us on what to do. And I could not hear him. It was so loud in the arena that I could not hear him two feet away from me. And uh, it was electric in that building. Jerry Stackhouse with the reverse dunk. Oh, that's amazing. Rashid, Rashid Wallace with the perfect game. You know, they got me in Sports Illustrated, you know, uh, getting dunked on by him. One comes off the rim and he just goes and just bangs it down. And I'm hanging on his arm. Cherokee Parks and Eric Meeks are also there. And he was just unbelievable. And so, you know, Dean Smith coaching, they just it was an awesome environment. And uh, it was a tough pill to swallow, you know, not winning that game. Um, if you if you wanted to win that game, you had to win it in, in regulation. And unfortunately, you know, we, we couldn't get it done. Yeah, that incredible game. They still show clips of the mm-hmm. half-court shot, the the stackhouse dunk. over. It seems like every year when they're playing Duke Carolina highlights. But you mentioned 96, y'all flip the script. You go 18 and 13. Mm-hmm. You get in the tournament. Like you said, it's still, like, even me as a fan, it still didn't feel like Duke all the way. Eastern Michigan, I think it was, with Boykin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I played in the tournament. And what do you remember about that experience, your first dose of the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Um, you know, that team was riddled with injury. You know, we lost Trajan um, that year. We didn't have him. And then we lost Chris Collins late, who was our leading scorer, uh, to a foot injury. And uh, he was hobbled. And so we were just uh, a wounded team um, in terms of injury that year, which was unfortunate. But, you know, we we, we did make some strides. We had, a, I think, a six-game winning streak in the ACC. Mm-hmm. And for me, as as a, as a sophomore, that was my best year at Duke. You know, I was uh, average 14 points. I shot really high from the from the field, 39% from three. I was a uh, all-ACC selection, you know, um, and I was uh, really becoming the player that I thought I could, you know, become um, as a sophomore. And so I was very grateful for that opportunity. We just didn't have the success um as a team that that I would have liked to see but again it was uh it was much 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 better than the year before and then we go spring into our junior year and then we're 26 and 7 or 8 or whatever that is and then my senior year we're 32 and 4 something crazy like that and so you saw the progression of Every us year. getting better uh, over time and getting us back to the traditional uh Duke teams that you're, that, that you're used to seeing but for me personally 
sophomore year was my best year and um, a, a year to remember. What's the one game that stands out most from that sophomore year? Uh, so many games. You know, I keep talking about the uh, the game-winning shot at Maryland. I got my career high against Virginia that year. Um, you know, um, I played well against Carolina in both games. Um, you know, um, you know, being all ACC, you know, I had a couple really electrifying dunks um, that, that, that year as well. You know, I was becoming, you know, uh, a player to watch um, as a sophomore, and uh, I was very, very gracious for that. But the first, kind of a very random question. The first two years was it the first two years or just ninety five when y'all had like the the blue kind of going down the front of the jersey? Yeah, uh, that was just freshman year, and we got rid of that real real quick. Um, you know, we all Nike like on it. <laughs> yeah, Nike obviously sponsors Duke, and sometimes they try to freak the uniforms a little bit, and they thought that would be cool. But um, looking back at it, you know, horrible season, horrible uniforms, and so I think next year we went back to the traditional. You know, uh, you know, V. And now, I mean, they got like four or five different jerseys. You yeah. see the black. We had the black. Uh, we introduced the black in 97, actually. And we kept that. So we got black, white, blue. Now they have gray. Now they have dark blue. I mean, there's so many things that they're doing now, you know, with the uh, with the jerseys with Nike that it's, uh, it's kind of cool. What did you think of the one a couple of years back when Duke and Carolina played? And it was like the big NC and then the big Duke D on the front of theirs. Did you like that? Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, you yeah. want to, you want to, you want to freak that, you know, you know, kids that are you know coming up now recruits, they want to see that. Do you know Oregon football? Do you know Gosh. they were a different Jersey uniform every single game helmet, every yeah. single game. They yeah. were something new every single game. I love it. Now I know it's Phil Knight. I know it's Nike. I know it's Nike town, but I think that's really cool. You're still going to stay with the green and all that. But I mean, to freak it and have a a, a a new uniform every game, I mean, that's kind of cool. I don't know if they can pull that off in basketball, but I like when they change it up a little bit. It's, it's marketing too. You sell those jerseys and mm-hmm. yeah, kind of hit the pause before 97, 98. How important was it for you to help out with Duke basketball camp? Um, I think it was good. You know, I think it was good. I mean, if you want to be a coach, you got to start on the grassroots, mm-hmm. you know, training and coaching. You got to be on the ground on the skill development side, and that's working camps. That's getting kids in stations and putting them through drills. You know, that's the organization. That's your delivery on how you talk to kids and, you know, how you get your point across. I think if you want to be a coach or trainer, grassroots coaching, which is working basketball camps, is is, is an absolute must. And I think that's where I got, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do, uh, drills, words that I use, and, um, you know, being organ being organized is from. Uh, I run a basketball camp every summer, as well. And a lot of the stuff that we do, you know, I learned from Duke basketball camp. I was going to ask, do you think that planted the seeds to what you're currently doing? Absolutely, um, absolutely. And and also, you mentioned the student athlete piece, and that's something that doesn't get talked about too much uh, when people talk about their careers and stuff. But you you hinted at kind of the stress of, you know, the academics. What was like a typical day like for you? during basketball season, balancing? And, and what did you do to balance the student-athlete piece? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, listen, I'm not going to front. You know, you go to Duke to play basketball, um, you know, and that's the number one priority. But at Duke, it's a little bit different because, you know, academics are so, so, so high on, on the food chain, as it should be. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I was able to graduate um, with a major in sociology, minor in history, but it was tough. It was tough. I mean, Duke is not an easy school. I remember my first year, my freshman year, 
uh, my first semester, I had three A's and a B. My mom was like, oh, my God, you know, you're, you're a genius. You know, how are you able to do this? I'm like, I don't know, Ma, but I guess I'm getting better academically. And then uh, the next year, um, you know, I didn't have any A's or any B's. It got real. <laughs> it got real. And it's just a progression of the workload and the stuff that you were being taught. And then, you know, the papers and everything else, you got to balance that with practice and games and travel. Very, very demanding. And so, um, you know, it was uh, it was tough to do. But, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the deal of being a student athlete. Yeah, that first year with those one-on-one classes is nice, but you start hitting those yeah, introductory level classes. It's all review, <laughs> intro and, two, or they're they're right, very right, good. right. So <laughs> it, it got real after that. What What's your opinion on the current like NILs and transfer portals that they have out there? Ah, oh, man, that's I mean that's a whole. We could have a whole conversation on that. You know, the biggest thought that I have on NIL is where the hell was that when I was coming up? Yeah. You know, why, why didn't we have that in the mid? Now it's Dunkin' Donuts and all this. Oh other my stuff. God! I mean, winning the McDonald's Slam Dunk, uh, you know, championship. You know, being a high flyer like myself coming out of California, I probably would have had all type of oh, offers yeah. on the NIL side. Um, but you know, I'm glad that the student athlete now is starting to get more of what you know he deserves. At the end of the day, the NCAA is making so much money off of these kids, mm-hmm. the tournaments, the jerseys, the jersey sales. Um, and everything else that they're promoting, you know, they put directly into their pocket. And education is cool, but it's 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 not a fair trade-off. It, it needs to be an education and then some. And finally, we're starting to get that then some. But I think that the NIL is definitely going to end up being a problem because it's going to be, you know, about the have and the have-nots. You know, it's going to be about schools that, you know, have the resources to offer the NIL packages versus schools that don't. Yeah. And, um, you know, you saw that with a kid in Florida – uh, the quarterback from Florida who, you know, was promised $13 million on NIL. And then all of a sudden that was just talk and that deal, you know, wasn't going to, wasn't going to happen. And he was like, Oh, okay. It's not going to happen. Then I'm out. And so now you're making promises that you can't keep. I mean, this could, this could go into some murky waters mm-hmm. if, if it continues to, uh, to spiral out of control. So there has to be a cap on how this is worked out, but this is a fairly new concept. And um, I think the NCAA is trying to figure it all out. But um, like I said, this could be this could be a little murky, you know, after a while. And the transfer portal is just nothing short of ridiculous. Um, you know, when I, last, yeah, when I looked last time, there was 2000 people in the transfer portal on the basketball side. But there's only 200 or so Division One colleges and there's even less spots than that. And so you yeah. go into the portal thinking you're going to go to, you know, greener pastures. And then all of a sudden you don't have anything. And um you know, so it's just a great way for, for, for teams to fill out their rosters. But I think it benefits the teams more than it benefits the players. And then they're, they're starting to see that with how many people are in the portal and how many opportunities are really not there. Yeah, I was telling my daughter because my daughter is really big into college basketball now. And I was telling her how like back in the day you would get like a, a Shaman Williams at North Carolina and mm-hmm. he walks in and he's he's, you know, getting maybe six minutes his freshman year with the understanding that by the time you're a senior, you're going to be starting every game. There's this progression, but now it's like, if they come in and they're not getting playing time right off the bat, well, I'm out, I'm going to Texas A&M or I'm going yeah. to somewhere else. We, we are in the world of instant gratification. hundred percent. The microwave uh, way of, of life. I want it now. And if you can't give it to me now, I don't want it. I don't yeah. want to learn. I don't want to wait. I don't want to get better. I want it now. And, um, you know, it's a it's a really, really sad way to look at it. 
but you know that that's where we are you know that's where we are in the college landscape yeah and you know getting back to kind of finishing up your career at duke 97 y'all were 24 9 ranked the entire year and then you'll get the acc tournament get knocked out by nc state which is a huge upset then you go to the tournament i remember the providence game um Mm -hmm. providence went on a crazy run during that tournament to the elite eight but then this is the the cool part i think about your story it's different from a lot of uh four-year players at duke you got there in this really weird time where they just came off the final four it was Coach K, one of his worst seasons he's had there since the early 80s seasons. Uh, I mean, I would say not even Coach K. I mean, it was he was out for that year. Just a really weird year for Duke basketball. And then, like you said, y'all progressively got better and better. And y'all were really laying the foundation for what was to come for Duke, which is perhaps one of the – maybe the best team never to win a title, that 99 Duke team. Just absolutely mm-hmm. stacked. And then, obviously, the Dunleavy – um Williams teams that that followed and and won some national titles or won a national title I believe it was what 01 mm-hmm. that they they beat Maryland in the final four and I think beat Arizona but uh you know that to go from 13 and 18 to 32 and 4 what does that mean uh and, and y'all got really close to the final four uh with amazing classic against Kentucky what did it mean for you to wrap your career up and look back at the body and work and say, this is where we started and this is where I'm leaving this program? It was great. It was great. You know, obviously this was the Duke teams that you would think would be Duke teams my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 25 plus wins, you know, uh, deep, deep um, tournament runs. And um, but, you know, the, the landscape was changing. We're starting to change not only for college basketball, but for the pros, because now. We were also getting ready to enter the one and done. One and done is right around that time. Right around the corner. And so, you know, people are jockeying for position and basketball was changing, you know, ever so much. But to be a part of the Duke culture, to be, you know, part of the program, people ask me all the time, you know, do I regret, you know, going to Duke? And, you know, it's unequivocally no. You know, if I had to choose again, I probably would do the same thing. And, um, you know, I learned so much from coach. I learned so much about being, you know, in that community. I learned so much, you know, about growing up as a man from getting away uh, and going 3,000 miles away from home. And, um, you know, I really, really, um, you know, thank the good people, um, you know, for helping me, you know, become, you know, who I am today. And I think those four years at Duke, you know, really shaped that. How big was graduation for you? Graduation was huge. You know, obviously, um, you know, I ran into some academic trouble as a senior. And so it it, it, it kind of felt like I might not, you know, graduate, but, you know, I hunkered down, you know, I took the necessary classes. I went to the necessary summer school situation classes that I had to go to and I was able to finish. And you know, like I said, I finished um, with a major in sociology, minor in history. And uh, my mom was there to cheer me on. And um, nothing, nothing could be better than that than seeing her smile and watch her baby, you know, uh, her only child graduate from uh, prestigious Duke University. And so, um, I got the uh, got my uh, diploma, my my degree sitting right here uh, on my on my wall, so I can look at it every day. You got one of the framed Duke jerseys in there too. I know you have to have one of those somewhere around the house. No question, it, you can't see it in here, but it's right over here to the uh, to the left. Okay, so yeah, it's there. All right, yeah, that's a good touch there. And then uh, you went pro, spent some time with the Pistons, went overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all in Europe. I saw Europe. Yeah, um, you know. Passport full of stamps, two years in France, um, Slovenia, Amsterdam, um, Finland, uh, China, 
Philippines, Venezuela, you name it. Um, and so basketball has afforded me an incredible opportunity to see some of these places. And had I not been hooping, um, I probably would have never seen these places. So, you know, I'm very grateful for uh, for what the game has given me uh, from a travel perspective, uh, from a monetary perspective um, and everything else. It's been uh, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. You mentioned it's opened some doors for you. Talk to us now as we, you know, kind of wrap this up about all the amazing stuff you're doing now. You mentioned a book. We've mentioned working with the youth, but you're out there doing public speaking and, and all kinds of other stuff. So tell our listeners what you're doing and where can they find out everything about you? Well, 11 years, I started a company called Game Ready Skills and Development Training. And essentially, I'm a, I'm a basketball trainer. I train kids on skill development training, speed agility training. We do camps. We do clinics. Uh, we do corporate team building. And from that, it is kind of spun into other things um, like motivational speaking. And so, you know, for me, I always find I find myself, you know, teaching and talking to people about the game. And, you know, I found that my calling really is to to teach, uh, not a CMS teacher, you know, in the school, but to teach basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not an expert in too many things, but I do. I do know everything just about the game. And so, you know, for me, giving these kids uh, opportunities to help improve their game and reach their goals and aspirations through basketball is very gratifying. All these kids here in North Carolina, which is the number one sport, they play basketball. They want to be they want to be basketball players. They want to go to Duke. They want to go to North Carolina. Now, a lot of them will probably never achieve that goal. But it's the journey and the discipline and the preparation that their parents are interested in. And, you know, and uh, I help in that regard. And then, you know. There'll be a couple of guys that slip through the cracks and, you know, they'll make, you know, uh, and get to college, you know, on the scholarship um, and and all as well. And so, you know, for me, it's um, it's it's a dream come true. I get to wear shorts and a T-shirt every day, you know, to work. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm working, um, you know, 10 to 12 hours a week, you know, training and then I'm on the road traveling, speaking. And so I'm getting to live, you know, kind of kind of a good life, a good dream, if you will, um, you know, teaching and talking about basketball. And where can they find you at social media or website wise? So our website is uh, gameReadyCLT.com. Um, go there. Everything is there. Um, uh, Insta- Instagram handles at GameReadyCLT. And so um, everything is there. Just a website of all the information and, and the services that we offer. More information about me and how you can get signed up and register. We have a big summer camp coming up. We're going to announce that at the mm-hmm. end of the uh, at the end of the month. We do that in June. This should be June 12th. And so um, basketball is life. Life is basketball. Let's keep it rolling. 100%. And celebrate your wins. As soon as you got something on that, let us know. We're going to push that out on all the social media. Um, I definitely want to check that out as well. And yeah, you're talking about basketball in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I was just telling someone the other night, I was like, y'all don't understand. When I was in grade school and middle school, they would roll TVs in on a Friday morning mm-hmm. and we turn on the ACC tournament. No question. And the amount of school absences during the NCAA tournament, <laughs> I imagine, because I was one of them. I had a doctor's appointment Thursday and Friday um, of that first right. round of 64 every single year. Um, what final comments do you have for our listeners out there? Um, You know, I think if you're watching this, you can see that I discovered a passion and the passion is basketball. And, um, you know, playing basketball is one thing, but teaching and working in basketball is is, is something totally different. And so 
I guess what I would say is to your listeners and viewers is you need to find out what your passion is and then go for it. And then hopefully that passion can be monetized and now you can have a job and you can have a career and something that you love to do. And, um, you know, that has been me for the past, um, you know, 11 to 15 years, you know, working in basketball and doing something that I love each and every day. I'm going to flip the questions that I typically ask. I'm going to ask you this one last question. Okay. Your your name is in the record books at Duke, which is the coolest thing just to, to think about. But you're an all-ACC performer. You won regular season titles when you were at Duke. When someone looks your name up 100 years from now and says, Ricky Price, what do you want them to say about you? Um, Outgoing, uh, fun to be around, fun to watch. Hell of a basketball player, hell of a person, and um, hell of a friend. And uh, he always did it, you know, his way, you know. And he uh, he was uh, he was that guy. And so, uh, if I can be mentioned, you know, in that in those type of regards, I think I would have had a uh, a pretty good career. And I, you know, I think that's I think that'd be really really good. Yeah. Well, I personally appreciate you. Uh, you know, being kind enough to take time to be here on our season three of Rebound Series. Um, I have that's two Duke personalities that I have on this season. So um if if a couple of my tar heels fall through, I'm not real happy about this. But um <laughs> nonetheless, I appreciate you taking time to do this, folks. Make sure y'all stay tuned next week for another episode of the Rebound series. <laughs>